What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, is Ben Fisher. Ben, are you snowed in? Absolutely, dude. In fact, to the point where even if I wanted to leave, I could not, as my car is still bright under two feet of snow. <laughs> Lovely. I, I love how in Jersey we get, like, it's either the predictions are very accurate and we get, like, multiple feet of snow in one night or, t- you know, two nights maybe, or they're mm-hmm. horribly wrong and they, cl- they call for, like, tons of snow and we get nothing yep it's i feel like they always call for tons of snow yeah it's never Uh, like you might get a little bit yeah no it's never like oh you'll just get one or two inches it's either they call for a ton and you get a ton or they call for a ton and you just get nothing but this time it actually worked out um i will say on the bright side i've had you know a a few virtual days this week haven't had to go into school so i've been chilling at home making hot chocolate sitting around been nice very nice well this is episode number 33 today we're talking all about our Kaldheim first impressions but before we get into that our main topic of course there is a couple of things we need to need to plug a couple of housekeeping items here first up the discord definitely check that out if that is your thing if you're interested in uh you know being in contact with the rest of both ben and myself and the rest of our community that that we've been building around all the draft chaff nonsense we've got plenty of channels in there for all the different draft formats for showing off your trophy decks uh talking different constructed formats even if that's your your cup of tea and and just general conversation it's been a blast and it's really awesome to continue to talk to all those folks uh, each and every day and of course at this point the show is brought to you entirely by you the listener via patreon that's right you can check out patreon.com forward slash draft pod if you're interested in looking at all of our tiers and perks that we have going on there we have a whole bunch of different options we've got a bunch of different things including stickers and access to the show uh without any editing or cuts and you know it you can pay what you want, basically, and uh, it's totally up to you when you want to cancel. No real commitment there. So if that's your thing, check that out. It really helps us out and keeps us doing this week after week. All right, Ben, we've got a crack and draft type thing here. And of course, we're talking Kaldheim. It's the new format. And, you know, i got to say, I, I'm pretty excited to get my hands on a new format. I felt like we had Zendikar Rising for so freaking long. Like, I, I know it wasn't any longer mm, than yeah. usual, but it felt like maybe it's just because I drafted it more than usual. But I don't know, man. It's so refreshing to get, get our hands on a new set. I think our sense of time is all a little bit distorted from everything around us, right? And honestly, to start off this crack and draft type thing, it looks like the view from outside my apartment. It's a snow covered forest. <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah that's our that's our first card here normally we we just gloss over the basics but in this set that's that's not the case we're, we're actually taking a look at those and, and gauging those along with the rest of the commons here and of course moving on we've got raven wings that's the two man artifact that gives a creature plus one plus one flying and makes it a bird as well not irrelevant actually no uh, I, I i had resplendent marshall where i got to uh when a creature died uh when she dies i believe it got to uh Put a one-one counter on everything that shared a, the type of something else, and I got the name Bird. Yeah, there <laughs> it go. worked. Yeah, yeah. It also works with uh, a number of other cards, like the um, the the red man. I I also should have pulled up. We were talking before the show that we needed to have a, a the spoiler up so we could name cards. Um, mm, yeah. But and the, the red giant that that deals X to a creature uh, that your opponent controls equal to the number of the largest number of a single creature type you have. Ah, uh, yeah, Basalt Ravager. That's the one, yeah. Uh, you know, helps there too. I actually yep. used the Basalt Ravager for three today, naming bird. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you know, not irrelevant. Speaking of giants, our next common is Bird Strider. It's the four and a blue 4-4 four, four giant wizard that uh, acts as a chillbringer, taps down a, a target artifact or creature and opponent controls. And if you use so really, snow, to, snow to cast yeah, it, really you... really big uh, crosslings. Yeah, it is, basically. Uh, cool card. Also not at one point, terrible. Oh, yeah. At one point, I got to 
Turn five, Reflections of Lityara. Turn six, Double Bergstrider. Oh, that one was fun. Geez. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Our next comment here is strategic planning. Probably not something we're super interested in in this set overall. Uh, it's a one and a blue for a sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and then rest into your graveyard. Nope. <laughs> next. Next is Coma's Faithful. This is two and a black for a three one elf cleric at common. It has lifelink and when it dies, each player mills three cards. It's actually kind of playable. Notably, this turns on both you and your opponent's graveyard synergies so i don't know you're gonna side this out if they have a bunch of like one power creatures but right. it's fine if you're playing heavy elves definitely and on to our next comment here we've got starnheim courser this is two and a white for a two two flying pegasus at common artifact and enchantment spells you cast cost one less to cast i think this is my pick so far ben uh, i like the bergstrider i like the raven wings and without seeing anything else i'm not super high on the snow covered forest to be honest but starnheim courser has been great and i really like a lot of the white decks in this format mm, i'd probably be on berg Strider here myself. Uh, I like it as a top end. Blue green is one of my favorite archetypes to draft, specifically the go big blue green snow splashing nonsense kind of borders on the five color deck. But uh, yeah, the, the course is good. Flying creatures are very good in this set. Yeah, I, I think the flying deck is probably my favorite so far, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But mm. I, I wouldn't fault you for taking the Bergstrider. It definitely sits you in a comfortable spot as well. Uh, but I, I've really liked the Flyers and the Sarnheim Courser itself because getting those runes for, for, for you know, half Half off basically is is pretty great. Mm, yeah. Next up is Undersea Invader. This is four blue blue for the five six giant rogue with flash, and it, it enters the battlefield tapped. This is just a bad seven drop, isn't it? Specifically six, but no, yeah. no. I mean, it, it doesn't do anything until turn seven. It's basically a oh, bad seven oh, drop. okay, okay. I get what you're saying. I mean, I, the joke here, you would never put a, a card that was this at sorcery speed in your deck. That right. that's just so so bad. The joke here is that you can leave up instance or other interaction. I just don't think it really does what you're trying to do. If you have a few rootless use sometimes you need to find those six toughness creatures to put in your deck really only this and the uh the ox the <laughs> okay the, the, the ox, ox does work too uh i was thinking more of the uh the giant uh honey mammoth equivalent man we gotta learn these names <laughs> i think it's called oh yeah ravenous lindworm that's the one. Oh yeah 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 sometimes you need like maybe one another target but i would always just want ravenous lindworm over this if you are in that big oh, blue green i don't think any of the decks really want this no I, it's really very 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 niche i don't think anybody wants this like you said there are just better options at, at that mana cost than at that that power and such our next that comment said, is the, oh go ahead the flavor the flavor is amazing uh very true. he's a giant rogue so he's trying to sneak up but he's just not very good at yeah he just can't do it <laughs> next up is raiders carve this is the three mana vehicle at uh four four Whenever Raider's Carve attacks, look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield tapped and it has crew three. So a lot of the vehicles in this set are are undercosted for their stats, right? Like this breaks a vanilla test and it has a decent effect, but crew three can be kind of difficult. And I, I really feel like, and this is something you and I talked about earlier this week, Ben, this is not a, a vehicle you just throw in any deck. This really wants to be in a lot of the, the ramp heavy decks if it's going to be anywhere. Mm -hmm. I don't really think this pulls its weight. Crew three is just a little more or you really want to get crew one or crew two. That way you're only tapping one creature. But there'll be often times when you play a one drop and a two drop and combined they have three power. But at that point, this is kind of like two for one in yourself or maybe even three for one in yourself just to get it activated. I don't know. This feels risky, even if it could potentially provide a little bit of card advantage. Yeah, agreed. Next up is Goldvein pick. This is the two mana artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token and it has equip one. These are the kinds of equipment that I like to see when they have their are low cost to actually cast them and then there are low cost to equip them a lot of times we we tend to see low cost equipments have kind of high 
equipment costs. Um, mm. That said, plus one plus one's not like um, amazing, and getting getting a treasure token whenever your creature deals damage is pretty good. But you really want to be putting this on something that has a couple of keywords to make it really worth it. But go- I think Goldvein picks fine as far as the equipment in this set is concerned. Yeah, I don't think it's as good as say Tormentor's Helm. That's the one red. Also gives plus one plus one. It has equipped one, and whenever the equipped creature is blocked, it deals one to the defending player. Mm. That one's just a little more efficient. And I think only red decks would ever really want Goldvein pick. I don't think you're just going to throw this in a random blue black deck right definitely uh, and in that case tormentor's helm is just a better rate agreed next up is elder fang disciple this is one in a black for an elf cleric at common it's a one one and whenever elf elder fang disciple enters the battlefield each opponent discards a card yeah i've seen this one pull its weight uh these kind of cards i mean they are by definition a one for one right like you are forcing them to discard a card of course you're giving your opponent some choice so they get to discard maybe that extra land or that creature they're not going to cast if you time this right it can work out pretty well though uh consider if your opponent is playing maybe a bigger blue green deck play this later snipe that last ravenous lindworm out of their hands this can do a little bit of work yeah still not really the pick for me though i i'd definitely still be on the the strider or the starnheim courser at this point but it's a fine two drop yeah this pack's pretty weak so far we haven't seen any of our star removal spells or uh, anything like that what's next so our last common here is immersturm raider this is one in a red for a 2-1 demon berserker a common whenever immersturm raider enters the battlefield you may discard a card if you do draw a card this is a, a better two drop still you know still a fine two yeah. drop um i like the selection and it lets you keep somewhat questionable hands in aggressive decks you know if you happen to have one too many lands or you draw one too many lands it's it's a good card to toss those away but uh, i still think i'm on one of our earlier commons here mm-hmm. there's a lot of red decks and limited where you'll have a two land hand and then a bunch of creatures and i don't know it's pretty risky but if you have an immersturm raider i'm keeping that hand every time yeah it's nice because it works both ways right if you have too many lands you can get rid of those to find your creatures if you have too many creatures you can get rid of them to find your lands it's just a, a nice all-around two drop that that really you know can smooth out your curve yep so out of all of our commons i'm probably still on starman courser or berg strider i'm leaning towards the strider just a little bit i like moving into snow early that way you know uh you can first of all see if you're getting be getting past snow lands if not you can know to move to a maybe still blue but less snow dependent deck Uh, otherwise you know see what else is open definitely yeah that's that's a great way to look at the snow archetype if any of our listeners here have have a question about when to move into the snow deck it's as early as possible basically Mm -hmm. Uh, keep an eye for it to be open if if you are moving into it early but it's best to get it early and and start to speculate as you go through the rest of your picks but that brings us to our uncommons here first up we have usher of the fallen this is one mana for a 2-1 spirit warrior and has boast for one and a white and it says create a 1-1 white human warrior creature token card's good uh, there's a very real go wide strategy this works really well with the uh i think it's called warhorn blast that the trumpet blast effect uh, works very well with the white uncommon three drop batter shield warrior any way of pumping all your creatures going wide plus this is a savannah alliance this is a one mana two one sometimes your opponent's just not going to have anything until turn three and you're going to be able to smash them for a bunch with this thing yeah and i mean you also have to, you also have to consider right that it, it at two power it's going to trade up a few times there are a lot of two drops of you know two toughness so mm-hmm. you get that, noticed, that added uh, ability as well yeah three two is a very common stat line a lot of commons are three twos in this form a lot of two toughness things a lot of things come in maybe do something else but wind up with two toughness uh, so i like two power in this set as a way to trade yeah up. i agreed 
Next up is Ascent of the Worthy. This is one white-black for the Uncommon Saga in Urzov. It says, for the first two chapters, choose a creature you control until end of uh, until your next turn. All damage that would be dealt to creatures you control is dealt to that creature instead. So kind of that uh, unicorn-ish effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and chapter three is return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a flying counter on it. That creature is an angel warrior in addition to its other types. Mm-hmm. I like this card. It's not very good. <laughs> right. Yeah, we were kind of low on it in our in our format breakdown episode and it hasn't really come up for me at all a lot of cards have shifted in in my initial like pick order and you know kind of rankings for the set this wasn't really one of them it's still basically where i wanted it to be yeah it's a little awkward but hear me out would you play a one white black sorcery that said return target creature from graveyard to battlefield it has flying it is an angel warrior probably but i don't want to wait three turns for that effect yeah here's that's the thing i would play that I'd first pick that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. A three mana reanimate that gives the thing flying. Like, that's incredible. Yeah. However, now you have to consider the context of the set and, you know, the rest of the text on the card, where the first two chapters are choosing a creature you control and having damage be dealt to them. Like, this can... I, I did make use of this card. Uh, I found it pretty good in... It, it was kind of like the, the top end of an aggro deck where I had curved out and played this on, like, turn five. And I played this so that it really only made it such that one of my creatures could die in combat so i was full swinging with a board of like eight things and they had three blockers and they had favorable blocks on me but only one of my creatures was going to die because only one was you know taking damage so then they were like well all right these blocks are still lining up right but they're not actually losing any creatures okay right which was nice for me and then uh of course it you know annihilated the one creature that got that got blocked and got everything dealt to it but i just chose my worst creature it was like a one one token um, sure. and then later on i managed to bring back something give it flying get in for that last little bit over top um it's still I guess not great could, though right like it works well in the one deck really like i feel like yeah, that's a good spot for it the aggro decks because mm-hmm. aggro decks your opponents need to be killing your creatures or you're just going to win anyway so if they can't kill your creatures you're, you're it's it's serving a purpose there and you're going to get something back from it but yeah i don't know it's it just doesn't really feel like it fits that well in any of the other decks yeah i think you need to be really careful about how you use those first two chapters i i could see this being used incorrectly a lot of times i had an opponent play this and they they chose like the the creature that they didn't want to and it just died and it it, it was it was awkward um then again like there's other cases where, i don't know I, I think this card is is a sleeper i'm not willing to give up on this card yet i'm, I'm just imagining like reanimating a god's hall guardian or something and, and you have a three yeah. six flying vigilance like that's that is really good value for three mana but it does have suspended two it takes a few turns to get there and it's very conditional your opponents know it's coming they can play around it they can exile stuff yeah yeah i i like a set of the worthy conceptually uh, I'm going to mess around with it some more and see if I can break it. And I'll, I'll let you know what I think. Awesome. Sounds good. So that said, so far, has your pick changed at all? Are you still on the Bergstrider? Uh, I like Usher the Fallen a little bit more. Okay. I think it's a nice opening into a white aggro deck. Even if Ascent kind of wants to do the same thing, I don't mind passing it. People seem to be pretty low on the card. Yeah, that, I mean, that plus the fact that it's a dual card, you know, two mm-hmm. color, you're probably more likely to wield that than the Usher for sure. Yeah. I think I, I'm with you. I, I would be on the Usher at this point. So our last uncommon here is Cole, the Forge Master. This is red white for the legendary Dwarf Warrior. It's a 2-2, and whenever another non-token creature you control dies, if it was enchanted or equipped, return it to its owner's hand, and creature tokens you control that are enchanted or equipped get plus one, plus one. Yeah, I like Cole. I actually had a red-white deck a few drafts ago that was uh, very aggressive. It had triple Cole, the Forge Master. Wow. That one was pretty fun. Uh, at that point, I, I, had, I was slamming like Spectral Steel, um, 
and I had a rune of I had two runes of sustenance in that deck. Like it was, it it did as advertised. Uh, it was fun putting stuff on it and then sending in with what would be trades. And then your opponent's like, well, they're just gonna get the stuff back. <laughs> right, <laughs> I don't yeah, want to trade like, with this. I'm sorry. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So then again, I, I did have some other things going for me in that deck. I had a like a they got a quake bringer in that deck too. <laughs> so I, I wasn't short for power, but uh, yeah, it, it's fine. Uh, it is a build around that you can't just yeah. slam this in a red white deck if you. You have no auras or equipment this is just a two mana two two that's hard to cast are you taking this pack one pick one so far and hoping to just take every enchantment and equipment you find See, it's tough when it comes to multicolored cards. Not right. all multicolored cards are equally splashable, right? So very true. Consider waking the trolls. The what is that a six-drop uh, saga that costs like four red green by turn six or six mana, whichever you know about the same time, right? You will probably have drawn your sources that you need or drawn ways to fix for the sources that you need. On turn two, you've probably done nothing. You've probably played a land and then untapped and drew and are about to play another land and see what you can do. So. This is not really a safe multicolored card to first pick, whereas right. some are, um, specifically anything with green in it and anything that costs more than four. So I would probably stick with the Usher of the Fallen here and then be sad that people to my left might wind up in white based on Cold of Forge Master or Ascent of the Worthy. But I don't know. It's a first pick. You're not married to it. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I would probably take the Usher here so far. And, you know, Cole's a, a card that you could see putting in an Usher of the Fallen deck anyway, and being that it's multicolored and kind of a build around, it's not super unlikely to see it wheel. Mm -hmm. So I, I would rather take the Usher, stay open with my colors and also like my my archetype as a whole and try to see if white's even open by the time Cole could get back to me and go from there. I will say this is not a very exciting first pick. Uh, no. I would take, there's a lot of commons I would take over <laughs> all of these. Yeah, this is this is a, a bum pack. But we do Give have a rare. Give me a Rolf Packmate. Oh, yes. I had to pass one of those the other day because I was just nowhere near green and it uh, made me feel so dirty. I, I'm never passing one ever again for the rest of the format. I think I passed one once or twice, but now that I've seen what it does... Oh, it's, it's incredible. It is mid-range power. I yeah, love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. It. I mean, it says draw a card on it. How can you not love it? <laughs> it's a 3-3 three, three that draws a card. That's, that's yeah. all you want. But our rare here is Calamity Bear. This is two red red for a 3-4 giant berserker. And if a giant source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage to that permanent or player instead. Yep. We I love Calamity Bear. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've gotten to play with this card actually a handful of times. I first picked it twice, and I've had it just show up uh, in pack three a, a few times, too. Uh, this pairs well with a lot of different things you might not expect. So Mistwalker is kind of a breakout common from this set that's two and a blue for a 1-4 shapeshifter. Uh, of course, a changeling, meaning that it is a giant. Wink, wink. Yep. Uh, and you can pay one of the blue to give it plus one, minus one until end of turn. So how this ends up working with Calamity Bearer is you can turn this thing into a four one, which hits for eight in the air. That's a three power hitting for eight. Like that, you absolutely want those two in the same deck. Yes. So Calamity Bearer, I've actually found works best in blue red uh, because you kind of have this redundancy. We were worried about not getting enough giants in our format breakdown. Turns out there's an abundance of giants because you can just play the shapeshifters. Right, yeah, there are enough of them in blue that you can tend to pick them up. And, and actually put the deck together. Now, notably, this isn't double strike, right? right? So if it would deal damage, it deals double that damage. So for example, if you give this double strike, it deals quadruple damage of yep. its power, which is kind of fun. I haven't gotten that one to work yet. I guess um, Kaya's Onslaught is a way to do that, but that sounds fun. Now, it, it, it is a little strange. You can't imagine that this is dealing first strike damage. It doesn't. Right. Uh, that'll come up every once in a while. Like, don't attack this into, I don't know, like a 4-2 first striker and be like, oh, well, they're 
it, it'll trade with it. It won't. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Yeah, it, I mean, it's weird. It weirdly worded that way, but it is. It is. It doesn't say double strike for a reason. So keep that in mind mm-hmm. when you're playing Calamity Bear. But that's definitely the pick here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I will say the one thing that's made me sad in this set is that some of the tribal esque instants and sorceries aren't actually tribal instants or sorceries. Yeah. Why Back is squash Lorwin, not a not a tribal sorcery? I literally was gonna say squash absolutely instant. should be a tribal sorcery. And, like some of these should. It wouldn't really affect their card too much, except it would just give them that extra little flavor and extra little edge. But maybe tribal instants and sorceries and enchantments and other such things are a little too much nonsense for an already highly complicated set. Can you imagine this being your first magic set? I don't think I want to introduce someone on this. No, there's a lot going on. That That's for sure. It's definitely nice to have this kind of set every once in a while. Like, I'm loving this. It's like a field day. But uh, yeah, this is this would not be the kind of set you want to introduce a friend on. <laughs> You're like, oh, and you could do this thing and there's there's uh, snow but don't worry about that that's just like a side thing because you really want to be focusing on uh, these creatures but actually on sometimes on the back there's something else called an artifact uh, but but don't worry about those because you can exile those now in blue which is a new thing <laughs> that didn't happen before <laughs> yeah oh and, yeah. and did i mention uh changeling <laughs> there's there's a lot going on in this set it's true when you put it that way too because it's one of those things i think i didn't like i noticed there was a lot going on but a lot going on to me who's been playing magic for over a decade and mm-hmm. a lot going on for a brand new player are very different amounts of a lot going on right so yeah you're right i think a brand new player to this set would be uh it would be it would be difficult to pick up but you know if you're a new player mm-hmm. and you're picking up the set kudos to you cuz there is a lot going on here in that rant i didn't even mention foretell or sagas <laughs> so True. all right that brings us to our teferi tibble for this week if you're new to the show this is the segment where ben and i talk about our past week prior to recording give a little bit of a highlight of something awesome that happened and something not so awesome that happened and just kind of chat about our week a little bit so ben why don't you kick us off sure so i had a snow day which is fun doesn't happen that often especially here in new jersey uh we get snow every once in a while but usually just one or two big storms a year and this time it was actually enough for them to cancel school entirely and then i have like i mentioned a few virtual days at home so i actually i was giving exams uh so uh, i just kind of got to sit back and relax and grade the exams as they came in and uh, give my students the rest of the periods free so they could like resubmit work or that kind of thing. Kind of the timing worked out where uh, this week just ended up being very chill in all sense of the word, uh, temperature wise, uh, effort wise. That's awesome. And uh, yeah. How do you feel about about the snow day thing now that virtual school is like really common like is it is is it something that faculty or i guess not faculty but like um you know principals or superintendents or, or whoever runs those decisions is kind of hey we don't have to take the day off everybody stay home and go to school anyway or are they actually giving students are they actually giving students snow days well yeah that's the thing so there's been an argument to have snow days every once in a while like full everybody gets off snow days especially for some of the younger students to preserve that I don't know, air of magic of oh it's snowing i want to go build a snowman like no one wants to be like oh but you can just go to school anyway so you may as well i think people really want to make sure younger kids still have that experience which is good i mean they're already getting a lot taken away from them with covid a lot more than people that might be able to rationalize this a little bit despite the whole thing being largely irrational um (laughs) i will also say that it is useful to have this infrastructure in place uh for example this morning we got an email saying like you might want to start dusting off your cars and get ready to leave early for school tomorrow uh and then we get another email saying by the way there's actually no street parking we're talking to the township about that 
So make sure you leave extra early. And then right before we started recording, I got a call saying, actually, we're just going to be virtual tomorrow. (laughs) Like we give up, just stay home. Yeah. I mean, I guess that that's an improvement or something that's nice from both the students and the the teachers perspectives. Right. I, I guess, you know, not everybody likes to go out, even as students, go wait at the bus stop or whatever to, you know, stand there in the freezing cold and make your way all the way to, all the way to school and such. You know, it, it could be nice to just have a, a virtual day every now and then. I think that's that's cool. But I, I agree. I think it's really worth giving kids the, the snow day aspect. Like, mm-hmm. taking that away entirely would feel like a huge bummer. They don't come that often, especially in our area. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that's worth it. Mm. And my tidbit for this week, uh, something that I I was consciously thinking of before the snowstorm happened. I was thinking, there's no way it's going to be that bad. Like, they always call for two feet. And it's always nothing. And it just so happened, this is the one where I actually got it. So me, uh, being myself, I didn't actually buy a shovel for my new apartment that I've been in for a few months. Uh, I I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Once I looked outside and I saw there was about a foot of snow, I was like, oh, man, I I messed this one up. (laughs) This is going to come back to bite me isn't it so right now i've been like checking outside every once in a while in my parking lot uh, i have cars parked on either side of me so i'm hoping both of my like car spot neighbors have to leave first so they shovel in between our cars uh, one side already did i'm just waiting on the other side and then i'm free <laughs> nice nice how about you so for me this week has been really busy uh but also very productive i've been getting a lot done i've been doing a lot of like self-improvement stuff this week and mm. it's been good um and also at the end of the week Hannah and I are taking like a little mini vacation. We have a friend who Ooh. is having like a bridal shower or bridal party or whatever they call it um, up in like upstate New York, basically. Mm-hmm. So we took the opportunity. We're going to go we're going to go up there for the the party or whatever. Hannah will do that. And then I'll probably hang out with the with our friend's fiance. Um but we're, we're just like, you know what, we'll just take the opportunity to, to spend the weekend up in upstate New York and just kind of chill. Uh, Sweet. There's supposed to be like an area there that has like geysers and stuff. I don't know that they're going to actually be doing the geyser thing right now. I don't know how that works <laughs> with temperature differentials, but we're going to check it out. It should be fun. Yeah, sweet. Upstate New York is nice. Uh, people listening are apparently from all uh, all over the globe. We've been seeing some uh, pretty cool like demographic breakdowns on, on some of our data sites. But uh, I will say for those that are unfamiliar entirely with what upstate New York is, when people say New York, you often think like New York City. Uh, it's like this, you know, bustling nonsense, Coruscant esque <laughs> like uh, city sa- cityscape. But upstate New York is probably the exact opposite yeah. of that. It's some of the most, uh, I want to say, desolate forests we've got <laughs> in the area. You can drive through upstate New York for hours without seeing a building. Yeah, no, it's it's just dense forest and then mountains and you know not a whole lot else. So it's it's nice. We'll be out kind of in the middle of nowhere. Hopefully, I'll still have some Wi-Fi because I doubt I'm gonna want to sit around all. All day while Hannah's at this party and, and mm-hmm. not do anything but you know I'm, I'm excited to have a little bit of time away and uh, actually get out and, and do something outside that isn't going to kill people <laughs> <laughs> good plan my tibble this week though is that I've hardly had any time to draft I've been so busy I've got two drafts under my belt and one of them is still in progress mm-hmm. so you know that's kind of disappointing I wish I had gotten you know half a dozen or so done by now but mm. It is what it is. Well, don't worry. I think I've probably gotten 15 or so. So I get enough for both of us. Perfect. That brings us to our listener questions of the week. And yes, I said that correctly. We have two this week. Uh, we're going to start off here with Hululu asking, which cards in Kaldheim have the most chaff potential? 
So when we say chaff potential, I'm going to take this to mean the draft chaff that we love the most, right? The cards that are sweet, that are like, mm, this is good. Maybe even not good and limited, but just like a good magic card. But just no one cares about it for constructed or, or anything else otherwise. So I have a few early picks on this. I'm actually going to go with the center of the worthy. Uh, this is, it's a little bit of a pet card for me. I, look, everyone's hating on it. I had it work out once for me. M my brain is just programmed to want to defend it at this point. So I'm going to find a way to make this thing work somehow, uh, whether it's in some kind of nonsense casual deck or putting it in a commander deck. I don't know. Ascent of the Worthy is, is up there, but also a lot of the other sagas. Some of these are clearly never going to see any kind of play in Constructed, but I mean, they're strong contenders for Chaff. I think the Draft Chaff Cube might need some sagas. Yeah, I think there are going to be a lot of, at least a lot of cards that we're going to look at to be updating the cube with. There are mm -hmm. definitely some some strong contenders. For me, I think if you're if you're looking at Chaff, I, I kind of, I tend to agree with you with, with some of the things you mentioned there. If you're looking at cards that are just garbage and probably will never see play anywhere, including in limited, I would have to go with uh, with one of the ones we actually opened, Undersea Invader, the the six mana five six that can't mm. do things on turn six, <laughs> can't do anything. Yeah, that card's just so bad. Um, I agree with you a lot about a lot of the other gold cards though in this in this format. There are a lot that are going to be very cool to put together in limited and probably pretty powerful, but won't see a whole lot of constructed play. Mm -hmm. So a similar question, Rob, that's at the end is asking which commons or uncommons in Kaldheim fall under the so bad you literally don't need to think about them while drafting or deck building. Uh, like a preemptive Tuck Tuck Rubble Fort award for cards that we can ignore. Amazing. Uh, Tuck Tuck Rubble Fort. Well, fantastic in Neoform combo. Uh, not very fantastic in limited. So weirdly enough, a lot of the bad commons in this set, I found to have a lot of corner case uses. Uh, there's a lot of game plans in this format. A lot of decks that can be doing multiple things. You can have a, say, black-white is a very good example of this. You can have an aggressive black-white deck, or you can have a late-game control black-white deck. And sometimes these cards fit better in one than the other. So there's lots of different builds of decks of the same color pair, which leads to some very interesting drafting and deck-building choices. So cards that might seem kind of chaffy, uh, that we could give this Tuck Tuck Rubble Fort award to, things like Axe Guard Braggart, the uh, the four-drop 3-3 three, three that boasts to put a woman counter on it and untap it. That thing can get really big in the late game if you're surviving that long yeah, uh, it can be pretty tough to do actually. it something like dread rider this thing looks pretty bad six mana for a three seven and you can pay some mana exile thing from your graveyard drain for three if you're in one of the late game black decks things just can't attack through this uh and i was actually playing a game against an opponent that had a cinder heart giant that i was playing a smaller uh green deck i just couldn't beat it like all my removal spells were fight spells and then they, they if they ever got to turn seven they just dropped this thing and i'd be like well i, I that's it yeah <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of cards. There are a lot of cards, like you said, that are that are seemingly bad or at least lower on the on most people's pick orders that still find homes. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this a little bit before the show, and a lot of, like I said earlier, a lot of my pick ordering has shifted, even in the few drafts that I've done. But I've I've been looking at a lot of drafts that other people have been doing, and I've noticed a, a lot of cards. I think we were wrong about one of them being Raven Form. Like mm -hmm. is just uh, quite a bit worse than I expected it to be. But there are there are parts of the, the you know the other side of that coin where some of these cards that seemed pretty bad are actually they can handle their own and they can they can find a home um, as well. You mentioned here in our show notes, um, open the omen pads and revitalize. I still don't think open the omen paths is a good card and i probably wouldn't put it anywhere but i i recognize that there are corner cases where you would want it uh i just these ones i'm putting like, under the unplayable 
Oh, <laughs> okay, good. All right, perfect. <laughs> and we're on the same page. I was trying to figure out where you were going with those, but yeah, those are, oh, no, those no, are not no. good cards. Don't take those. that bullet point is for uh, also in that category. You'll notice actually that um, there's a lot of cards here that, that seem very similar. Roots of Wisdom, Revitalize, uh, the Green. Oh no, Roots of Wisdom is the the green one. Uh, is it Anticipate? Oh no, Strategic Planning in blue. Yeah. These cards that are two mana look, do something with your library and then wind up drawing a card. Revitalize falls into that. Open the Path is just worse. It doesn't. It ramps or something. And then I don't even know what the other one does. Um, Smashing Success is like the four drop land destruction or artifact destruction. These cards are not what you want to be doing with your mana. This set is extremely mana intensive. Mm -hmm. People can be optimizing their mana use thanks to Foretell really well. Well, uh, there's there's decks where people will never pass the turn with untapped mana, right? So if you're going around like spending time casting Roots of Wisdom when they're foretelling a card and then playing a Saros Packmate plus a Struggle for Skemfar, you're dead, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, one of the first things we talked about in the Format Breakdown episode was we weren't sure where Foretell was going to line up in this format. If, if turn two was going to be too pivotal and you weren't going to be able to take turn two off to foretell something, then, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it would be a dead mechanic or something approaching that. I, I think it's safe to say that's not the case. Foretell is very much alive and around and is, is quite good. But yeah. what isn't good is spending two mana to literally do nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. If, if we were on the fence about Fortell at the beginning of the format, these are definitely cards you don't want to be playing. Mm -hmm. I have other thoughts on this, but I think we may as well just get into our main topic for this, right? Yeah, of Today course. Today we're talking about uh, our Kaldheim first impressions. Not taking a look back at our first week or so. I mean, just because we've been doing these drafts and then also soaking in as much content as possible from other content creators and that kind of thing. Well, we can share some thoughts on the format so far. So what do you think? What's your first impression? It's been... Really cool. I'm I'm very excited about the format. Like I said, I haven't done a ton of my own drafts, but it, there are plenty for me to dive through and look at in our Discord and on Twitter and everything, so I've been paying very much attention to it. Mm -hmm. And I have really been excited by some of the decks that normally don't excite me. Red-White, in particular, has been one that I've actually quite enjoyed. It seems like there's a lot going on in that archetype, and mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of situations where like normally I would find a Red-White deck to fall apart. Some of the removal in this set, especially in red, is just good enough to make aggro decks contend a little bit longer than they than than they usually do. Mm -hmm. um, the flyers are very very good as well, and I've been liking that there's like a de like an actual flyers deck because for a long time blue white was like the flyers archetype, and we ended up hitting a situation recently in the last year or so where that kind of wasn't the case. Like blue white tended to be kind of something nebulous, mm -hmm. so I'm excited to see that kind of make a make a return, um, and I'm also excited to see how different some of these cards have lined up. Like I said, we had a lot of cards that we thought were a certain grade and then shook, shook, were shaken up a little bit. Like they, they ended up being something different or currently are something different. We'll see where the, the dust settles. But yeah, it's been a super exciting format so far. What about you? Yeah, it's sweet. I love the nonsense snow deck. Uh, the aggressive strategies feel strong enough to balance out these late game ones. I will say someone slamming a ravenous linworm really sucks. You really need that uh, that squash to get anywhere past them. But eh, still, I, I I think they're it's pretty balanced overall between the early game plans, the the more uh, aggressive game plans, and the more late game trying to go over the top game plans. Flowers are strong, removal's good. The synergies are there, and the sagas point towards so many different plans that you can have with your deck. We talked about earlier how the 
sagas and multicolored uncommons often didn't align said that they were trying to do different things turns out that seems to be intentional some of these decks like uh blue black for example you could have narfi and be playing snow and zombie tribal or you could be playing the uh, blue black saga the trickster gods heist and doing an entirely different thing maybe trying to optimize for playing some creatures with etv ability abilities that you can then trade off to get this cheap control magic or maybe even swapping the trickster gods heist for another saga there's a lot of stuff you can do uh, lots of interesting drafting and deck building and gameplay choices Lots of splashing, and honestly, the exact opposite of M21. Lots of fun rares and mythics to open. Even Zendikar Rising, I just got kind of tired of taking royal eruptions over fun rares, but... Honestly, there's a lot of rares I love to first pick in this set. Yeah, it's interesting, right? They, they've they kind of found a nice little sweet spot where a lot of the rares are impactful and can really be a powerhouse in your deck, mm-hmm. such that you want to take a lot of them over you know, some of the commons and uncommons, or most of the commons and uncommons. But they aren't format warping, at least not yet from what I've seen. They haven't been format warping, which is something that like you know War of the Spark didn't have, right? War of the Spark had tons of really good rares and, and mythics, but they were the format. So that's like the yeah. opposite end of the M21 spectrum. I think call time's kind of nice, nice smack in the middle. Mm-hmm. So there's a few topics we wanted to cover as we go through this. First of all, before we get into the other topics, I want to take a quick look back at our format breakdown and just kind of see some of our hits and misses uh, as far as our top commons. I-, I think some of them are still shaking out white. I'm not entirely sold on the top commons yet, but I do think we're right in the right zone with Bound and Gold, Doomscott Oracle, and Stalwart Valkyrie. We're, we're up there with those. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely missed on Raven form. Yep. I think we also uh, think missed it, on Bind the Monsters, to be honest. I, I had a deck running yeah. three of those, and I had two in hand, and I was just like, wait a second, I can't play these, I'll just die. <laughs> yeah, uh, turns out the cards you want to hit with Bind the Monsters most are like, they're 7-7, seven, seven, and then you look down at your six life. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it's sad, because it is, it's the type of removal we've gotten used to seeing in blue at common, but I want to say this is kind of the worst of these versions. Like, I just liked Bubble Snare a lot better, and, yeah. you know, yeah, sometimes you just can't play it, so it's surprising. Blue removal and we kind of hinted at this I think it might have been before the show but blue is one of the if not the best color right now in our opinions and Mm -hmm. it is kind of mitigated in power by the lack of removal you kind of have to pair it with a color that has better removal because blue's removal is kind of kind of awful yeah so it's strange to say I think blue decks are the best I think they need to be paired with good removal I I personally think blue red is my pick right now for for top deck because the common removal at red is just so good yeah you've got the uh Demon Bolt, Frostbite, and Squash, like trifecta of, of incredible removal. Just there's nothing in the format these three combined can't take care of. Um, which honestly, red doesn't always get. Sometimes red is just uh, occasionally there'll be a creature that red decks just can't really deal with uh, because which is also their fine, common right? removal is just, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the thing. But in this format in particular, I think that it's nice to see red removal get in that balance. So I, I do think red and blue pair really well together. But honestly, they feel pretty even. Uh, black, we're also kind of still seeing shit shaken out um skull raid I'm, I'm not sold on yet i haven't actually gotten to play the card myself yeah, uh, i haven't either. drafted black too many times i think i only had it two uh two times and i didn't happen to pick up a skull raid in those we'll say way down uh, I've been pretty impressed with. I think we're, we're solid on that. And Feed the Serpent, obviously, just excellent. Now, red and green, I think we, we got pretty much right. Uh, <laughs> Sirolf's Packmate. Oh, yeah. Look, Absolutely. A little bit of behind the scenes here. I had to convince Ben initially to put Sirolf's Packmate on our top three list. I remember that. I don't, I don't remember that at of all. Of course not. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure 
no, I didn't. I wasn't recording at that time, but it definitely happened. Um, that said, he's come around, and South Park is fantastic. I think. What did we? What did we have it at? Number two. We did. We did. Yeah. Yeah. We I had think. I think it's probably week. just the best green common, though, right? I think it might be the best common in, just the, in the set. set. Like, yeah, I, I, think, I don't know. I it's it's right. tough. There's these removal spells. Like, all right, imagine you open up a pack with like a junk rare. There are a few, and you've got like a feed the serpent and a Sorrel's pack mate as your top picks. See, it's I not think, like I think I'm still taking the pack mate there though because green has such a better avenue in my opinion to make a better like a good deck yeah it's it's not the ability to foretell this on turn two and play it on turn three if you miss your land drop like it it just it's good when you're behind it's good when you're ahead like this thing just really takes care of everything even though the black removal is safer if there was like a feed the serpent for example you know you're gonna put it in any black deck yeah you're also putting yeah exactly you're putting pac-mate in any green deck and i would rather be in green than in black yeah, and one of these is a guaranteed two for one, the other isn't. So, like, I, it's hard because in any other set, um, you would always take the removal, right? You'd always take the black, uncommon, expensive, unconditional removal spell over the green four-ish drop draw a card creature. But in this set, I I don't know, as it starts to develop, I want to test this more, but I, I'm leaning towards the pack mate. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at right now, too. Mm-hmm. So anyway, to get into some of our, our main topics, first thing I want to address is the snow deck. Now, I don't want to spoil next week's episode, but we're going to be talking a bit more about Path to the World Tree. I just want to say for now, Path of the World Tree not only is possible to activate, but it's awesome when you do. I love Path of the World Tree. I love taking it early and specifically like midway through pack one, I think is a great time to find it because then you can start grabbing those off-color snow duels or the snow basics. You really want one of each like snow basic in this deck too, uh, unless you happen to have enough color fixing through like uh, Frost or potentially a Jasper Sentinel, which I've seen some people playing and I'm not entirely sold on yet, but maybe, I don't know and uh that way you can go and tutor it up with first of all path the world tree or any other ways you have of getting basics out of your deck like horizon seeker yeah i I haven't actually drafted the deck yet but it looks pretty sweet and when it does come together it 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 does work yep so i i'll say that this reminds me of a deck from draft gone by uh for those that played back in Rivals of Ixalan, there was the Big Chicken deck, uh, which played Suncrest the Pterodon, which is a uh, a four mana two five, no, five mana two five flying, and if you had another dinosaur, it had vigilance. So it was essentially like a five mana two five flying vigilance. But it just so happened that nothing could attack through it. There was like like two or three cards in the format big enough to attack through it. And if you got multiple these down, your opponents just couldn't really get in. Uh, combat tricks weren't really playable. So then you'd curve into it with Sailor of Means, which is one or two and a blue for a one four, which makes a treasure when it comes in. So you just had this un like impregnable wall of giant blockers and then good color fixing from the sailor and other other sources and then the joke was you would draft a bunch of those and pack three whatever your rare was you would just take it and then just put it in your deck it didn't matter what like whatever you opened in your, your third pack you just take the rare put it in your deck and that was your win condition so i've actually noticed a kind of similar feel i tried doing this exact same thing and it worked <laughs> and like i just had a bunch of these big over-the-top creatures ravenous linworm uh lajara kin seekers like these things really just brick your opponent's attacks and uh, they they let you get to the late game and find your things that let you splash. So to talk about one specific deck that I had of this, <laughs> I put a, a picture in the Discord. People can hop in there. It, this was a pretty good big teamer deck. Base blue-green, but I was splashing for Demon Bolt and Squash. But uh, in this deck, I had Path of the World Tree, Sculptors of Winter, a bunch of Snowlands. I actually had the World Tree itself and then some other good cards like the Bears of Yara, Inga Runeyes, uh, Asika's Chariot, of course, a 
Blackmate and a Marita the Frost. But notably, I was splashing for Furge's Retribution, which is... But Ben, that's a, that's a that's a two-color splash that requires three pips of your off-colors. Yep. Okay, here's the thing. So with something like Furious Retribution, it does require double white pips. And I was actually, all right, this was a little a little bold of me. I was playing a Plains and a Glacial Floodplain. Those are my two white lands. So then you might be thinking, well, you have to draw both of those. You're insane. Hear me out. If you have something like Path of the World Tree, you can go get one. So then you're already kind of okay. If you have a Sculptor of Winter, you can tap, say... Uh, the glacial floodplain and then untap it with the sculptor and then tap it again for white glittering frost is such a key component of this deck of which this deck did have one uh it also adds in that that second color that you really need i just found it it was it was just going to be good enough and it's not like unfortunately it's not like some of the other ones uh this one doesn't tap for two of the same color sadly it doesn't like turn your land into a, a mana confluence or anything. But I did think it was enough to get there and I did end up getting there. And one of the best games that I had with this, uh, I did end up casting Freya's Attribution and it worked. The games Very just nice. go long enough where you're drawing over half your deck, especially these blue green decks. You can just, you know, finish games with like four cards in your library, in which case you'll have drawn all these lands, all this stuff, and you'll be able to cast your Retribution and it's a win condition, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a great card. It definitely was something you would want to splash if you could. And actually speaking of Splashing Furious Retribution, uh, my most recent deck was a red-white base deck that had a copy of Furious Retribution, and I was trying to figure out if it was worth the splash. Ultimately, mm-hmm. didn't end up splashing it because it was a pretty low-to-the-ground aggro deck, and I was going to yeah. try to use it as a top end, but I think the splash would have hurt the deck too much. Mm-hmm. And I'm currently 3-0 with that deck, so you know I think I made the right decision, but... nice. It, it is. It's a great, great top end, great finisher. And, you know, if it works, it works. And I think you found a cool little five color subtype here that that actually is doing what what it advertises. Yeah. So I will say five color deck. It's a thing. Next up, I want to talk about the Flyers deck. Yeah, go for it. So Skies has historically been a draft archetype, and it's often been a good one. Sometimes people... One of my favorites. Well, yeah, sometimes people that are new to draft will ask me what I think they should draft. Um, and usually, you know, you want to start saying things like, well, you, you want to take like good cards affect the board state, take removal spells, take some bombs. But if you really want to help someone out, you can just be like, hey, keep an eye open for the Flyers deck. Uh, because this is a great entry point for new players too. Just because you see things with flying, they tend to go well together. They can't be blocked. <laughs> it's it's a nice little sense of, uh, oh, like I get it. Blue, white, flyers. Like they're birds. <laughs> It right. makes sense. Speaking of the so, Flyers deck, mm. one of the questions that we and a lot of other folks had in mind when this set was spoiled and when we started talking about this set was one card in particular, and that was Battlefield Raptor, right? That's the one-mana, mm. one-two, first-strike yeah. flyer at common. Most of the time, these cards, cards that are similar to this, are pretty awful, and they're generally some of the worst cards in the set. People were on on the fence about this one because if they're putting a card like this in the format, then there's probably some support for it. And I think it mm. actually gets there. Battlefield Raptor's a good card in this format. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if you haven't had an opponent go Battlefield Raptor, Raptor, turn two spectral steel attack for three with first strike. <laughs> you look at your hand and you're like, can I stop this? <laughs> and then of course the rest of the game plan is probably going to focus around keeping that alive or breaking through on the ground too, or, or maybe backing up with some of the flyers. There's some very efficiently costed flyers in this set. Uh, there's a, a handful of three mana two, two flyers, which we've kind of, those have become the norm, right? But there's plenty of ways to, to pump them too. Something like a code spell cleric to toss some counters around, or like I mentioned, spectral steel or other little R 
auras like this. Uh, Batter Shield Warrior, I found, pairs really well with these. Sometimes, even if you're attacking in and they end up trading or eating the Batter Shield Warrior, if you got in for 10 in the air, thanks to its, hump, its pump ability, and a bunch of like smaller, dorkier flyers, like, I don't know, uh, other things, maybe the Battlefield Raptor or... Um, stalwart valkyries things like that i mean then you're, you're still kind of doing it yeah i mean they're there there's a game that i played earlier today that was uh, i was up against a naya deck and they had a battlefield raptor and they managed to play the uh the green red the green red saga that has a chapter that says put two plus one plus one counters on it you add red i think and then put two plus one plus one counters on on a creature mm. i think it's arnie plays the troll yeah, yeah. They put that on a Battlefield Raptor, and they pumped it with a couple of other things, and suddenly they had a 4-5 First Strike flyer that I had to waste a squash on that they spent one mana for, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, at that point, they had invested in it, so I didn't feel quite as bad uh, about about throwing the squash on there, but it's mm-hmm. a real card, and it can get the job done and really, really close the door on games. Yeah. Another notable thing is that there are creatures that reach, but a lot of them are kind of smaller, and in place of, I don't know, some, some sort of... Uh, there's Broken Wings, which is fine I, I found broken wings you definitely want a copy or two of this if you're playing best of three there's also a, a, a kind of strange one we don't see something like this very often arachnoform this is one in a green for an aura it gives plus two plus two has reach and has every creature type so kind of strange i've had opponents toss this on a, a, like a creature if they see that i'm playing flyers i had this uh, an opponent toss this on a yara kin seekers and then my my board of flyers didn't look so hot but, you know, then you just need some removal, some bounce. I think these decks kind of want some tempo to get around that. I, I like the bounce spell in this deck, too. Yeah, a couple of other cards that are worth noting that fit into blue-white as a whole, but also kind of work with the Flyers deck that have impressed me are, one, Behold the Multiverse. Behold the Multiverse is way better than I was giving it credit for in this format, and definitely mm-hmm. creeps up into my top five, probably top three. I think it kicks Raven form out quite nicely in the in the top three blue commons. I think but, it's probably top three commons overall. Yeah, very well could be. Um, and then the other one, certainly not at the same power level, but a card that I didn't give enough credit uh, was, was Scornaf. Scorn Effigy's actually done decent work. Like, it, it's a free card, essentially, when you need to get your... It works well in the double spell decks. Um, yeah. It's it's nothing to write home about, of course, but it's it's surprisingly more effective than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Big fan of curving Scorn Effigy into Vega the Watcher. Three mana, two, three, enters the battlefield, draw a card. That's more like yep. it. Yeah, definitely. It gives it gives a whole lot of extra uh, efficiency to, to a bunch of cards. Like I said, the, the second spell cards um, makes it very easy to get a code spell card cleric out which i mean is pretty easy anyway but you can get a lot of those second spell things for free uh when you when you have a scorn effigy in in exile Mm-hmm. Now, notably, something might look kind of strange about a lot of the decks in this format, specifically the blue-white ones. You might have a lot of three-drops, a lot of things like Iron Verdict or these Battle Shield Warriors, or these other three-drop attackers, Bound in Gold, Vega the Watchers, Scorn Effigies, maybe that kind of thing. Uh, and in green, I've noticed this with four-drops, um, stuff like Sorolf's Packmate and Struggles for Skemfar. The curves look a little different in this set because of Fortel. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to play a very different mind game. I, I love this aspect of deck building too. And it also comes up in drafts as you're considering your curve. If you're thinking about how this is going to play out in practice, how often are you going to be foretelling Iron Verdict turn two and then leaving it up for a few turns? Well, if you do that, what will that mean you want to do on turn three? Are you going to foretell something else and have two foretell things up? Uh, are you going to kind of try to play this four drop out? Do you want to make sure that you're able to do that? Like, are you playing a bunch of hard casting six drops or do all your six drops have foretell? So right. it, I'm not entirely settled on where this lands with deck building. I don't think this adjusts things like, um, say, land count too much. I don't think right. you're, you're uh, 
you know, skewing that yet. But interested to see if uh, any heuristics shake out of this. Um, like I said, this is still developing. It's still like week one of the format for us. So keep an eye on this. Yeah, I've been I've been holding it to more or less a card by card basis. Stalwart Valkyrie, I pretty much never put in my curve as a four drop. I almost always. Mm-hmm consider that a two drop when i'm curving or like de- cur- with the uh, curving decisions so i think they're going to be a bunch of them like stalwart valkyrie that are 90 percent of the time cost one thing and the other 10 percent they cost something else and and when you're building your curve or considering your curve you're going to put them in the spot that they tend to uh, be used in more frequently but a lot of that at this point for me is coming down to a card by card basis i don't think there's enough uh value in every single foretell card across the board to just say yeah you should put them they should all be considered at, at their foretell cost but mm-hmm. that's the other interesting thing. You wouldn't put stalwart Valkyrie at the two drop slot either, but you also probably want to put it as the four drop slot. So there's almost this nebulous sense to it where you don't really know exactly when it's going to come down, but it's between three and four often could be a little later, depending on if you have things trading off. It depends on how your deck is working out. But as for things like having too many three drops, if a lot of them have foretell, don't sweat it. You'll probably be fine. <laughs> that's yeah. that's kind of how I've been taking it to be for now. Okay, so that brings us to a couple of key cards we wanted to talk about. Uh, we did talk about some of these already, but we'll kind of glance over the ones we've we've talked about already. What the first one here is Svela Ice Shaper. This was the the two four um, legendary Gruul creature, right? It's mm-hmm. in red green, and this one we talked about was a little bit weird because it has kind of two abilities that are seemingly a little bit at odds, but also kind of work together, right? It it makes. Uh, mana rocks and then it also you can pay eight to to get a creature off the top of your library Uh, Mm -hmm. and we both were like not super sure you were a little higher on it than i was in our format breakdown but i gotta say the biggest thing for me that was holding this card back was thinking i'm spending eight mana to get a card that's gonna be like what a three drop a four drop maybe like you're over investing in a creature that's probably not gonna Mm -hmm. do it for you and it certainly isn't worth that amount of mana and you have to wait until later in the game to do it but it breaks board stalls and you know casting anything for i mean it's not free per se really because you're spending a lot of mana to do it and you're kind of taking a turn off to get bad creatures but i've seen it actually work and i, I played against a, a player who had a, a spell ice shaper out and it, it did work and i was surprised because when it hit the battlefield i was like oh i got this and then they slowly turned a, a favorable board state for me into a board stall into a favorable board state for them and mm-hmm. you know i it definitely made me think think twice about Svela. Yeah, Svela's awesome. I'm calling it baby Golos. It just feels like a Golos activation when you do this. I guess there's a few differences. You're looking at four, putting one. I guess it's more like Aetherworks Marvel than anything else, really. <laughs> Call it baby Aetherworks Marvel and Golos mixed together. So two, four is a pretty decent set of stats in this format. There's a lot of three twos running around. This blocks them all very well. And when this thing lives, I, I realized very quickly that these abilities are both instant speed. Yes. And the ability to get paid off for the first ability uh, kind of immediately where the icy manolith comes in untapped and it kind of immediately like refunds you that one mana for for investing in it also the icy manolith tap for one mana of any color so if you're playing like a four color five color snow deck spell is amazing yeah like, that's she true. Just, provided you can cast her uh, then it'll help you fix any of your remaining colors and honestly that second activated ability if you have I don't know you really just need two big things in your deck if you have two ravenous linworms then 
you're set. Like there's some decks that just can't beat that. Well, like I said, it's still drawing you a card every turn at, mm-hmm. at the very least, and it, it's it's drawing you a card and getting you to play that card uh, in in a format where creatures are super important. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm higher on it for sure. And when you when you talk about slotting it into that four or five color snow deck, then yeah, of course, fellas, value goes through the roof. Mm-hmm. Next up on our key cards, behold the multiverse. Uh, I think it's just better than Glamoura Genius. Yeah, right? agreed. It's more mana efficient. It's weak against some of the hyper aggro decks, but in grindy games, this is the number one thing you want to top deck and the number one thing you don't want your opponent to top deck. Yeah, it's just phenomenal. Also, the art's and, good. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. The ability to say you're on turn four, to foretell this, instead of say just casting as a four drop like you would have to with Glimmer. Let me work you through a scenario why this is so great. Let's say you have Disdainful Stroke in your hand, and it's like uh, you're, you're passing your opponent, they untap, play their fifth land, they try to slam, I don't know, a 5-5. Five, five. And you're like, well, I get to Disdainful Stroke that. Where otherwise, if you had tapped out, played the entire uh, Behold the Multiverse in one turn, you're looking at this Disdainful Stroke in your hand like, oh man, I wish I could have left that up too. Now you just yeah. get to do it all. You get to like try to hit, do it on your turn if you need to hit land drops or something like that. It's amazing. It just does it all. It also works well in aggro decks. Like One of the biggest mm. things that aggro decks fall short on is card advantage or being able to draw cards and when they run out of gas they tend to do it relatively permanently and Mm -hmm. this lets you turn four comes around you can you know foretell this drop a stalwart valkyrie keep the beats going yeah and then you just you know the next turn you get to play another two drop play your land you play a two drop you cast this out of foretell and boom you know or you play a three drop and foretell this and there you go now you've got your cards are back you've done some scrying so you've you've got some selection in your cards and you're still putting the beats on it it just is it's top notch yeah honestly it's it's way better i don't know why i glanced over this card initially but especially because it's a very me card but yeah yeah, it's way better than i first gave it credit for speaking of things that cost three and a blue and say draw a card and scry on them i'm talking about inga rune eyes i keep getting past this card i i I late like i've wheeled inga rune eyes i don't know if that's just situational for me but if you pair this with good removal or interaction or even an opponent that doesn't quite read it correctly (laughs) like this is just amazing I have drawn three cards off Ingaruna's trading so many times. In which case, like <laughs> you, you just got so much value off of this. It's a four for one. And then that's not even counting the fact that Scry three really shores up your mid game. Uh, if you need to hit that fifth land, or if you desperately need something besides a land scry three is pretty significant yeah it's funny i'm actually one of those people who have been passing you ingarunize really yeah because for some reason when i first read this card in my head i read four mana three three that doesn't do anything until you somehow are able to set up a situation where three creatures die in the same turn and Mm. this is just better than that right but i couldn't Mm. get over the fact that it was underrated for the, the the vanilla test and then had this weird effect that i didn't think was that easy to set up it's certainly a bit easier to set up than i gave it credit for and scry three is worth something you know it's probably worth that extra mana so she yeah it's definitely better than than i gave credit for but um I'm gonna gonna try my best to not be passing as many of them going forward. Yeah. So here's a scenario: you attack this into your opponent's Rolf's pack mate, uh, and they have like one other creature and no mana up. They go to trade. You say Demon Bolt, their other creature. Three things died this turn. You draw three cards, and they look at their hand like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I think Whoops. I think the other thing was I I read it as three of your creatures died this turn. Mm, yeah, and yeah. that makes it way worse as well. Uh, so you know, knowing that it all you have to do is really trade one for one, and then yeah, kill something else makes it a lot better. 
Um, for sure. I, but yeah, I, I did think for a while that it was uh, your own creatures. Another one I wanted to shout out was Mistwalker. This is, again, two and a blue for a 1-4 shapeshifter with flying. You can pay one in the blue. Give it plus one, minus one, and so on a turn. Be on the lookout for three drops that are good early and good late. Just like we look for two drops and one drops that are good early and good late. Uh, really, all cards that are good early and good late tend to be pretty good, and this is one of them. So this blocks a lot of things. Four toughness, again, is very good because there's a lot of three-powered attackers. And this even threatens to trade occasionally if you want to pump and activate it uh and being a shapeshifter is just a plus the fact that this, that this has flying means that those pesky battlefield raptors and other little nonsensical one one spirits that are sometimes floating around they're just not getting through yeah for sure um we also have last couple of cards here that real quick we'll just kind of gloss over uh glimpse of the, glimpse the cosmos quite good Cyril's pack mate freaking phenomenal never pass them <laughs> even if you're yep. not in green no i'm just kidding um but yeah they are phenomenal phenomenal cards mm-hmm. so i wanted to mention a few favorite games so far that i had uh, because this format has had a lot of wild stuff going on just with this sheer amount of complexity it kind of is expected right so i had an opponent who had entirely elves in their deck uh, nothing besides elves they're playing a few underpowered ones too but just all elves they had all the good ones they had a tyvar i couldn't attack through it i was playing blue white flyers actually a very good blue white skies list that i posted in the discord and my opponent of course started with uh the the little dorky common um the one that i said i was jesper sentinel not entirely sold on they started with jesper sentinel and then curved it into a few elven bows uh that's what it's called right yeah elven bow the equipment that comes in and makes a an elf, and then uh, the thing that attaches to it gives it reach. So my Skies deck is looking at these three reach creatures like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to sit back for a while. And then they play a Tyvar. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I sure would be nice if I could attack that, right? They actually ended up ultimating Tyvar, comboing off, actually using it, and I managed to squeak out a win. <laughs> this was in game Very three. Nice. Uh, it was incredibly close. Another fun one I had, uh, this one was actually uh, against an Asika's Chariot, which I also think is great. People are starting to call it the Cadillac, which I think is <laughs> pretty good. Uh, I stabilized at one life against Asika's Chariot. They had a bunch of creatures, um, but I managed to, thanks to some well-timed uh, agars and shapeshifters and, and profitable trades and blocks, I managed to stabilize against this cat army and come back from the brink. It, it was great. And then it finally uh, just ended up gaining some life and, and slamming some big creatures to, to get myself back into it. Have you had any uh, similarly epic games? Well, like I said, my, my drafting time in the set has been minimal so far, hoping to up that this weekend. But mm. uh, I had one game today that actually really stood out for me, and this is one of the things I was alluding to earlier in the show about the red-white deck in this format, and that is... I was playing against a Nihilist, and it was the same one that I was talking about with the with Arnie Slays the Troll, and uh, they, they had a bunch of big creatures that they were starting to put down, and, you know, the deck that I had put together had um, didn't have any Demon Bolts, but it did have a Squash, and it had, um, you know, some other removal involved. But honestly, uh, it was interesting to have an aggressive deck that gave me decision points because I feel like yeah. I, not not to not to be that guy who says like aggro decks are for people who can't think or you know anything <laughs> like that because that's not true and I think actually like like mono red decks actually do take quite a bit of thought to to play properly but mm. in limited a lot of aggro decks are very straightforward one drop two drop three drop oh they played something too big I can't win that's not so in call time cards like squash and demon bolt and frostbite and all these flyers and a lot of the foretell cards like they allow you to make some serious decision points that make playing an aggressive deck into a mid-range deck actually interesting which 
Yeah. It's really awesome. I, I just I just think it's awesome. So we actually had a request from a listener, Andy X, to mention some potential Kaldheim achievements. Uh, one that he suggested was uh, if you, you can, if anyone can ever manage to beat double Icebind Pillar, uh, we want to see some screenshots of that in the Discord. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of jot down a few other achievements people could try to unlock on your own journey through Kaldheim. First of all, it's going to require two rares, but I think this one's worth mentioning. The World Tree plus Maskwood Nexus. So uh, I yes. think... <laughs> the put your entire deck on the battlefield combo. Uh-huh. I mean, clearly, if you do this, you should just win the game, right? Funnily enough, these cards are both pretty good on their own. Maskwood Nexus is a little better than I thought it was. Turns out making two twos every turn is okay. It's It's like, you know... It's fine. You can lose to a lot of things, but it's okay. Um, if you have the World Tree, which it seems like I've seen this one go around the table. If you're not playing green, you definitely don't want it. If you are playing green, sometimes you don't want it. Mm-hmm. It's totally reasonable to assemble these two rares. You could theoretically activate the World Tree's second ability, which is paying double Wooburg to get all the gods from your deck, which with Maskwood Nexus would put everything into your deck or in, from your deck into your battlefield. So uh, give that one a shot. I can't wait to hear about someone that achieves this. Next, yeah. uh, this one's a pretty straightforward forward one but activate path to the world tree i challenge every every single person you listener i want you to try to activate path to the world tree because it feels great when you do <laughs> and then you finally refund all the gems for the lost games that people have i'm just kidding i mean uh, it's, it's a serviceable <laughs> effect look uh, take these achievements at your own risk finally giant ox plus colossal plow look they put this one in there for us. It looks dumb. It looks kind of silly. The payoff isn't even that good, but it's a meme and I'm excited to try it. Just you have to find the right deck where you're okay with having one or two copies of Giant Ox anyway, which I don't know how often that comes around. Probably very minimally. Mm, yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, finally, before we move on, we wanted to jump through some miscellaneous notes of Kaldheim. Just some things to be aware of, things that we've noticed in our first few uh, drafts and things we just wanted to mention to share with everyone for for the good of all first of all takes no lands higher than you are Uh, if you are in green or blue especially if you first pick like a green or blue rare even if you know you're not necessarily uh in snow already or like already black kind of goes with this as well really red and white have less really not very many snow payoffs at all uh just take these lands a little higher if you are starting to get into the blue green or blue black or green black snow deck the i'll actually i'll quote lsv on this is one uh, this is one he's been pushing in a lot of his streams recently which i recommend tuning into he's you know as with all the pros a great way to get to know a new format is just by watching more content of it and he's one of the best around for that he's been stressing the point that you can you know have these snow lands uh, and they'll be fine you'll put these snow lands in your deck if they work with your stuff. They're the enablers for snow. The payoffs do not work without the enablers, but the enablers are fine whether or not you get the payoffs. So uh, for example, if you take a Boreal Outrider, which I found to be very strong, this is a two and a green for a three, two elf warrior. It's a snow creature. Whenever you cast a creature snow spell, if snow of any of that spell's colors was spent to cast it, that creature enters the battlefield with an additional one, one counter on it. So how this works is if you have a snow forest and you play a green creature, you tap with that snow forest and it got a little snow on its boots so it comes in a little stronger uh however if you play if you tap like five uh if you tap four snow uh mountains for a draugr necromancer it wouldn't work with this uh it would still not come with a counter on it It cares about seeing its own colors you have to tap a snow swamp in there somewhere so anyway once you have something like this which this is a pretty reasonable first pick in a lot of packs if you take this you want to be taking those snowlands really highly like in the next several picks 
six if you can, uh, especially if there's nothing else really going on. Because if you don't wind up with any Snowlands, then what was the point of your first pick, right? Like, Boreal Outriders doesn't do anything otherwise. It's just a three mana three two, which you can do better than that. Yeah, and we're also in a type of scenario which I think people have been stressing for quite a while now, the last handful of sets. Um, playables are not something that are hard to come by anymore. Like play design just doesn't build mm-hmm. sets where you aren't going to get to your 23rd playable. And so you're not really giving up any equity. And in fact, you're, you're gaining equity when you take Snowlands over a card that you're likely not going to play anyway. Yeah. So, next so another up- little note, uh, this is one that I kind of noticed is a little weird. Uh, two red commons that seem like they'd go well together in an aggro deck, Fearless Pup and Breakneck Berserker. It's a non-mo. So <laughs> Fearless Pup is a one one first strike in red. I just cost one red. It is boast. You can pay two in a red to give it plus two plus oh until in a turn. Cool. Cute. It does its thing. I got beat down by two of these the other day. It sucked. <laughs> Not a lot you could do about it. Well, uh, if you have a Brightneck Berserker, which is two in a red for a three two haste, you can't actually play that and swing with both on turn three and still leave up the pup's pump ability, which I found to be unfortunate. Because that by that time, your opponent may have played a 2-2, in which case the pup is just sidelined. You'd really want to be able to attack with both and have the pups thing up. But, you know, I just noticed this in my own uh, deck building and my own gameplay. This actually came up for me. wanted to advise against it for uh, people out there. So consider this in deck building and in, uh, you know, playing out your cards. So next up, uh, we've got quote-unquote bad attacks might try to turn on Graveyard Exile Clause. So basically block tokens of equal value. Mm-hmm. So if you see an opponent attacking their, I don't know, their 2-2 into your Five, five. I don't know. They might have a way down. If they don't have any creatures in their graveyard yet, they might just be doing this to try to get a creature in there so that they could do something like that or, you know, enable one of these other creature in the in the graveyard exile clauses, of which there's actually a, a decent number in the set. Um, I have been, I'd say, moderately impressed by Mask Vandal's ability to nuke sagas. Mm-hmm. However, you can't do this on turn two or often before turn four. Unless you've got a creature in the graveyard, it's just a one mana or a, a two mana one three. But right. the ability of this thing to like snipe a saga in the late game is very strong. You would need to have some kind of creature in the graveyard for that to happen. So just be aware that sometimes your opponent will want a creature in the graveyard. So if you get the chance, block the token if, if it's of equal value. If they've got a 1-1 creature and a 1-1 token and they're of you know the same value, it sometimes will be correct to block the token instead. Right. And our last like real miscellaneous note here is that, that Snow is kind of a, a multicolor archetype. We've seen it in, in the Sultai colors and it comes together uh, sometimes in Sultai and then sometimes in just you know the three different multi-color uh, double colored pairs there but it's a very doable archetype to put together especially because a lot of the decks like the red red white decks or red white base decks don't really care about it that much there aren't that many payoffs if any mm-hmm. so definitely be on the lookout for putting those together especially if you happen to pick up a snow rare uh, and a payoff early in the first you know couple of picks definitely pay attention for those enablers yeah i had one other thing down here but i think they resolved all the bugs at this point right i haven't run into any myself yeah on launch day i i didn't end up losing a game because i tried manually tapping one of my lands it was glittering frosted and uh it didn't go well it crashed the game so i got a free draft out of it that was nice oh well <laughs> well that's gonna do it for us this week everybody thank you so much for uh you know checking out the cast listening to our first impressions here and hopefully you guys have been having as much fun with this format as we have definitely let us know if you have been uh, enjoying it check out our discord and you know just drop by post your deck list we love to see what everybody's cooking so definitely uh 
you know, leave that for us and all the other community members. And of course, if you're interested in supporting the show or giving back to us in any way, Patreon is the best place to do that. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. And uh, by the way, the Discord link is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. Speaking of Twitter, if you want to reach out to us without joining the Discord, you can do so on Twitter by uh, adding me at Rannick Alfredian or Ben at Betafish1. You can reach out to the podcast directly at draftchaffpod or via email at draftchaffpod at gmail.com. That does it for us and uh, enjoy the rest of your call time. Have a good one, everybody. So today, I've actually been getting back into another game. And Magic, I'd say, is my primary game that I, that I play. But I don't know if you've noticed on, uh, on Discord, it, I like that it, it shows what people are playing. Did you notice what I, was, what I was up to for the past few days? I've seen some Minecraft popping in there every, every now and then. Yeah, I've gotten back on the Minecraft train. I like coming back to Minecraft every once in a while because it's honestly, it, it is up there for in like the short list of best video games ever made. Yeah. And I think you could talk about, I don't know, any other of um, other game series, things like Assassin's Creed or Portal or like Call of Duty, these other like huge market ones. But as far as like games that have just had such a marking impact on culture, I don't think anything comes close to Minecraft. I mean, sorry, Magic the Gathering Arena. No, but- I mean, it's- <laughs> You're you're not there. Yeah, like this game has been around for what, like 10 years or so now? Something like that. Yeah, it might even be a little longer, but it's around there. Mm -hmm. I remember playing an alpha when it was browser based. Like this thing is this thing is pretty old and it's gone through so many changes. But the sheer volume of content that's been created based on Minecraft, I don't think anything else really holds a candle to that. Think of the number of like 10 year olds out there making Minecraft YouTube, just like we were back when we were like 10 doing this. Like people are still doing it today. Day. it's incredible yeah yeah there are a lot of people have made their livelihoods out of making minecraft content too which is which is crazy like it's so cool and it was one of the first games i think really that that sparked that as far as you know like gaming youtubers minecraft is one of the first ones that really showed people hey we can do this for a living mm-hmm. it's also it speaks to the nature of minecraft itself i think which i i adore this game it's not for me all the time it's good to come back to every once in a while to see the new things that have been added or the new complexities here and there. So I've been on a bit of a kick the last few days because uh, I have a server with some friends and we, we were trying to like fight a few bosses. And then I realized you can make arrows that have healing properties now. Like if you like put potions on the arrows, but that's awesome. I'm just going to go around being like a, a raid healer, like sniping <laughs> people to give them buffs and things like that's so much fun. It's yeah, like I'm it playing really Overwatch, <laughs> but um, something about Minecraft and, and your absolute freedom to do anything you want. Uh, I think it's the perfect escape game that the music is also just gorgeous it's it's peaceful you could play for hours not even realizing it just building things those of you that have never played minecraft that are listening to this uh, if you want something almost therapeutic uh, if you want to take a break from just the grind of arena i recommend minecraft it is a very different type of game but really enough i think the kinds of people that like magic also tend to like it because it, it plays to the what if side of the brain it plays to the uh the strategizing but in a very different way instead of strategizing well what cards are in my opponent's hands it's well how much wood do i need to make this cottage look good yeah it's it's funny uh minecraft for me is one of the games it's one of the only games that i consistently get enjoyment out of watching but rarely get enjoyment out of playing i have tried to play minecraft so many different times and i've never gotten past like the quote-unquote starter phase Mm. but i have a handful of youtubers that i've been watching for like literally a decade now Mm -hmm. that i will watch i watch every day like consistently and all they play is minecraft it's just i don't know it's weird because it doesn't tick that box for me from like a a a creative standpoint i just don't jive with the way that 
that Minecraft is supposed to be enjoyed, I think, mm-hmm. in any respect, whether it's the, the redstone aspect or the building aspect. For some reason, I just can't click with any of it. But mm-hmm. I love watching it and seeing what, what people are able to produce in that game. That's the wildest thing. I could see you being like a full-on redstone engineer. Yeah, you know, know people have made like working calculators and things, right? Yeah, Seth Bling has made literally working computers, like like actual computers in the game that you can play other games in. Yeah, oh yeah, I saw people were like playing Minecraft within Minecraft. Like it, it is, it, it's almost like someone handed you the source code to something. It reminds me a lot of the Source Engine, where people were able to do all these absurd things with it. And I mean, now there are real games that came from that. But again, here you have Roblox too. Yeah, yeah. Again, you've just kind of had this huge open world ability for people to just do what they want. And I think again with Magic, that's what that's all about too. You're just doing what you want. I think it appeals to the commander player in me too i I love commander because you can do what you want choice is so important for people it it, it makes your brain feel good when you have choices so i think the ability to go in and say hey i'm gonna build a giant house that's shaped like a mushroom which i'm currently doing uh (laughs) the ability to do that is really just a, a masterpiece